want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. Man, it is Christmas come early at my house this week. How's that? Well, I just made a massive order of seminary books, and they are slowly being delivered. That is the best. Yeah, like, honestly, the the mail guy today. Mailman. We still call him the mailman? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, the mailman, yeah. Or the Amazon delivery guy or whatever. Yeah, mailman literally had to cart them up to the the front porch. That's the dream. Yeah, I don't need December. I I can have it now, right? Well, you'll do it again in January. Yeah, that's true. Man. Good for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. man. Good time. There's Exciting nothing, time. There's nothing like having fresh, fresh new reading material for for the theologian, for the seminarian. <laughs> man, that's that's the best. I look, I'm trying to get TJ off of this new book kick. Like TJ, I do, man, yeah. he. It's I'm a new be, book snob. Uh, I've, got, I've got, you've gotten me. You've gotten me to the point where I can handle. First of all, I love classic. <laughs> I love classic old books. Like I, I, I would, I would love to have the originals but you know if i've got a used book that's been highlighted and the pages have been written in and or i can have a new version of it that's what i want right i just want that new book yeah but no you're you're right you're you're helping me i'm 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 putting away my new book snobbery yeah learning pray pray for this guy yeah i'm learning the cost is a lot (laughs) higher for the new book so Um, okay well uh we've got another little standalone episode uh, that we're gonna work through. I think this one here is episode twenty-seven. Should be if it's if it's released in the order in which we have prepared yeah. for it to be released. This will be episode yeah. twenty-seven. Episode twenty-seven. Uh, this one we titled "Christians and Alcohol." I actually taught on this at church uh, on July tenth. Um, so we we thought it'd be good just yeah. to kind of carry this over and uh, knock out an episode um, on alcohol, and then potentially do an episode yeah. on Christians and drugs. Yeah. Um, so, TJ, to kind of kick us off here, um, what are some reasons that we need to have this episode? What are some reasons that we need to talk about it? Why, why this issue? Why do we need to address it? Well, aside from the fact that you just taught on it, so it's <laughs> fresh for you. Um, well, you know, I think, I think the issue of, of Christians, Christianity, alcohol, that's a, it's a hot topic, and it has been a hot, hot-button topic in different eras of Christianity, especially in America, um, and and even today, I mean, this is a question that I get frequently in the church. Just people who are, are wrestling through this issue, trying to ask this question, and our culture demands that we deal with this because our culture has embraced alcohol um, in a, in a unique way. I think compared to maybe some other cultures where alcohol is a staple as part of the dining experience or whatever else, our culture has embraced it as a um, What's the word I'm looking for? The our our culture has has said, hey, we alcohol is a a hedonistic thing, right? Like it's pleasure, right? I, it's I more can, of an entertainment, a party yeah, kind of right, value, right? And, and so I I think that we have to ask this question um, because because the there has been an inappropriate and unhealthy answer to this question for so long um, that the, the the church needs to adequately deal with this, yeah. right? Yeah, um, I think that there's maybe confusion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh, that maybe we're, we just don't think about it clearly. Um, 
and I'm talking about mainly the you know broad evangelical right. Christianity uh, when we approach this topic. Um, Maybe we don't know how to really talk about it or define it or discuss it from a biblical standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think we could probably sit around and talk about it all day long as far as the culture and the world is concerned. But right. can we make a case from the Bible uh, regarding alcohol? Well, I think right? what you've had is you've had two extreme camps, right? You've had the staunch teetotaler, absolutely not alcohol is sinful, just looking at alcohol is sinful, like everything about it is so sinful and then you've had the overreaction on the other side, which has said, well, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says this, and there's um, maybe borderline licentiousness. There's borderline, I, I can't be con- constrained by any type of man-made legality, and so I can do whatever I want. Mm. There's so much freedom with alcohol that I don't need to be concerned. And so I think you've got two errors on both ends of the spectrum, two extreme errors, and we have to come to a biblical perspective to be able to refute either one of those, but also to understand what does the Bible actually say right, yeah. on this issue. Yeah, so we want, to, we want to take the two extremes. We want to bring those things in to somewhat of a middle ground right. in, in the sense of what does the Bible say yeah. and how do we go from here? Right, exactly. Yeah, we're seeking the middle ground not because we want to avoid those two positions, but because we believe that's what the Bible yeah. says. So we're going to try to understand um, how the Bible uh, addresses this issue and how we can best be informed. You know, we talk about systematic theology, biblical, exposi- biblical exposition, but this is uh, the practical side. This is for the good of the church. Like, we think about things systematically. We, we do biblical exegesis, but now... This informs the way that I interact with my friends on Friday night. Um, this is this is a, a very informed theological understanding conversation that I need to have. So right. there, this is there's real practicality here. Yeah, and even even um, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of a pastor preaching on Sunday mornings, even though we, we would hope that the pastor is doing expositional preaching verse mm-hmm. by verse. Can you still do expository preaching on this on this topic? Yeah, yeah, abso- yeah. absolutely. I, th- I think I think this is the way in which you prepared for your sermon on this issue was to say, I'm going to address a topic, but I'm going to do it with biblical exposition along the way. Yeah, and that's our I think that's our goal yeah, as is. we open up open this up. So on that note, let me ask this, Lance. We start talking about Christians and alcohol. Are there any hard fast statements that we can make? Um, definitively that the Bible says in regards to alcohol, sinfulness, where where can we absolutely uh, agree and there's no gray area when it comes to alcohol, sin, the Bible, those types of things? Yeah, we can be absolutely dogmatic that the Bible clearly teaches that it is sinful, both according to the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is sinful to be drunk. Mm. Drunkenness is prohibited drunkenness is to be a completely blacked out, washed away, abstained from, mm-hmm. nothing at all to right. do um, with drunkenness. Pun yeah. pun yeah. not intended right. on the, on, I, on the blacking out. I wondered when you said yeah. the blacked out. Yeah. Um, so no so pun intended this should there. be a foreign concept, experience, desire for the Christian, right? Like th- there should be no... Drunkenness should in no way characterize or be involved in, in the life of a Christian. Right. The, the Bible's overwhelmingly clear on this issue. Okay. Well, we can stand firm and dogmatically on it. Good. I agree with you. Before we make the biblical case, let me first ask the question, what is drunkenness? Okay, because that's—maybe um, we'll get into this some other time. I've never had a drink. 
I, I don't know, and, and I'm I'm being very vulnerable in saying that because I don't know what it means to be um, buzzing. I don't know what it means to be on the cusp. And I know I've heard the arguments before, like, oh, I'm not drunk, but I'm, you know, I've, I've walked up to the line, but I haven't crossed it. How do, I, how do I define something that is so subjective or is impossible for me to know because it's based on experience? How would you define drunkenness? Yeah, well, we define drunkenness this way. It's being in a temporary state in which one's physical and mental faculties are impaired by an excess of alcoholic drink or intoxication. Uh, another way of saying that would be uh, to become uh, dominated by a strong feeling or an emotion. Um, at least according to our legal system, right, mm -hmm. uh, within um, where we live. And I, I don't have the statistics for that in, in front of me, or at least the legality aspects of it. But even crossing the line what's been laid out by the state or by the, mm -hmm. the country or whatnot, even going beyond that is clearly drunkenness because you're breaking even man-made right. laws, right? right? Yeah. Um, that, that's a, that would be a separate issue of sin, but still sin. Yeah, that would be right? a Romans 13 issue. Exactly. We've got government and we've got authorities that we are underneath. And right. as Christians, we should follow those things. But let's just say hypothetically here that there are no laws okay. and there is no government. Mm -hmm. um, how would we define drunkenness then? Well, clearly we wouldn't have any specific numbers to mm -hmm. identify that, but we would conclude that being dominated by a strong feeling or emotion, having something or partaking of something that now is changing the mind mm -hmm. and the faculties of the mind for how you behave, how you think, how you talk, how you act, that would move that person into a state of drunkenness. Now, however you want to rank that, rank that on a one to 10, right. right, is completely subjective to right. some degree. But we want to argue throughout this episode that we don't want to be under the control of any type of substance um, at all. Right. Right. And I would say, just based on hearing you describe that, I'm I, what I'm hearing, and, and I believe this is going to come out of Ephesians 5 when we get there in just a second, but that we don't want to yield control to something outside of us. Right. And if there's ever a question, have I hit that point or not, then you've probably hit that point. And even if it's not uh, defined as drunkenness by some other third party, what we've done is we've yielded control of our mind, we've yielded control of our body to an outside substance that now has impaired, has affected, has has real ramifications on the way we're thinking, speaking, acting, behaving, those types of things. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Make make the biblical case for that. Because I agree with you. We're on the same page. Drunkenness, um, explicit in scripture, it's sinful. Yeah, so how do we, alter, how do we, altering the mind, right? Altering the mind, okay. right? Um, it is absolutely sinful, uh, specifically in this regard. So, uh, there, there are a few foundational texts that we could go to, okay. both Old and New Testament. I think the classic one is Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen: "Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit." Okay, uh, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, and I mean, I mean, look, it's clear. We could exegete this all day long. Verse 18, right? Mm -hmm. Do not get drunk with wine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that, that is You know, in the Greek, what that means? Clear. It means do not get drunk with wine. That's, I mean, that's straightforward, yeah, well, right? Let me pull up the Greek here. Let me read that. No, yeah, that's exactly what that means. Paul, he's being straightforward. Right. There's no ambiguity in the language. It is do not be drunk 
with wine. Like that is, it, it's, it's there. Right, right. Well, because in, in Paul's culture there, uh, it, it was common for the Greeks and the Romans um, to look to commune with their gods by getting drunk, mm-hmm. by eating a ridiculous amount of food, by incorporating sexual immorality. They would try and elevate the mind or almost to some regard bypass the mind to get to some sort of an elevated or supernatural plane to be able to commune with their gods, lowercase g, right? Mm -hmm. So they wanted to lose all inhibitions. They wanted to lose Mm -hmm. all control. Um, So they would drink massive quantities of wine. Uh, They would eat massive quantities of food. And then uh, they would then infuse sexual immorality. So it was all of these things happening at one time. Like a sensory overload, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, it was with the hopes of communing with mm. the gods. So Paul says, nah, we don't do that, mm-hmm. but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the parallel text to that is Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, mm. right? So th- so that's where that's why most people start with this passage yeah. when they talk about drunkenness, right? Well, because Paul doesn't just give the negative he gives the um the related positive yeah. instead right yeah. like he, he he never just says hey don't do x what he says is don't do x but instead pursue y yeah here's right? the command now here's some practicality exactly right? like like there's a there's a a direct statement to resist and and flee from the sin but in instead of just abstaining instead you need to pursue godliness i mean it's it, that's what repentance is right repentance always is coupled with faith it's a rejection of sin and it's a pursuit after christ that's the same thing here do not be filled with wine do not get drunk with wine as you just gave us the historical context in other words don't seek after these other gods but instead be filled with the holy spirit right and what was so bizarre i, I came across uh, some documents that were talking about the Greeks and the Romans would, they they would literally try and get inebriated, mm. so intoxicated that it would allow the God they were worshiping to enter them, possess them, and then once that possession would take place, both the gods and the Greeks and the Romans' wills would, would essentially be paired together, wow. right? Be, be, be paired. Which, which is so bizarre. Paul, again, he says, do not do that. Right. Right? right. Do not do that. Mm. So what do, you, what do you got? I see you flipping scripture over yeah, here. Yeah, I'm just, well, I'm just thinking as you've, you've walked us through Ephesians 5, that's foundational. That's where I would start. That's, you know, kind of what we had talked about starting. But that's not the only place. Yeah, and if that was, right? man, that would be good enough, that's right? A, that's a great statement. If Even if that's all we had... I, I now have biblical grounds to reject drunkenness, to flee from drunkenness. Um, but that's not all we have. We have a lot more in Scripture. Um, I don't know if you want to walk through some of these other verses. I, I thought of, uh, of Proverbs, which I know we're going we're gonna to turn to Proverbs 23 uh, a little bit later. In fact, let's do, let's do that last. You want to roll? Yeah, let's, okay, let's we'll, roll through we'll some do of Proverbs the, last. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's, roll through, let's roll through some of these New Testament texts. Um, Romans 13. You have another statement here by Paul, and he he makes this statement. He says in verse chapter thirteen, verse twelve, he says, "Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light." And then he goes on to explain what those deeds of darkness are. 
Verse 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. So drunkenness is listed there explicitly alongside the other uh, deeds of darkness, so to speak, right? Like he's got sexual promiscuity, he's got jealousy, he's got strife, he's got drunkenness. It's listed there. Same thing's going to show up in 1 Corinthians 5. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, you see another list of sins. Mm-hmm. Paul's dealing with issues in that church, as, as we know. Uh, when you get down to verse 11, again, he starts talking about revilers, drunkards, or mm-hmm. swindlers, okay? Um, and then 1 Corinthians 6, again, we have another list of sins that people were actually redeemed from, right? right? Which we discussed in yeah. our episode on homosexuality, right? Yeah. We talked about these were defining sins. Yeah. And then, but yeah. he includes in there. Yeah, drunkenness is one of those mm-hmm. um, in verses 9 through 10. And yeah, I mean, that's the passage, and such were some of you. So right. let us just state right now, right. If, if you have struggled with drunkenness and that has been a pattern of your life, the gospel can change That's that, right. right? That's such a good word for us. And it's, it, it, drunkenness is, the case we are attempting to make now is just to demonstrate what drunkenness is as the Bible defines it, and that is sin. That's all it is. It is sin, and the the remedy for sin is the gospel. Yeah. And there's no sin that is distinct or held uh, uh, in any, di- any different light than the gospel itself. Um, I think also of Galatians 5. When you think about Galatians 5, you think of the fruit of the Spirit, right? But prior to that, in very Pauline fashion, he gives kind of the fruit of the flesh. Right. And and he lists in there kind of this these, these sins kind of in the same way that he's done in these other passages. And in verse 21, we see the word drunkenness yep. yet again. It, it's direct. It's it's stated stated there. First um, Peter 4, there's another mention of it. Uh, but I wanted to go to the book of Proverbs. Can you walk us through, or maybe we could walk through it together, but um, we're, we've made the statement that in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, we see this yeah. we see this uh, appeal to avoid drunkenness. Yeah. Um, what's the case to be made from the book of Proverbs? Yeah, well, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, it says that wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Mm. So not not is it only uh, telling us that basically wine is just absolutely ridiculous in, in terms of getting drunk, but it says that whoever's intoxicated, whoever is drunk, n- now we're talking about acting foolishness. Mm. If you are acting, or if you are drinking rather, and you are drunk, right, it, it's unintelligent. It's not wise, right? right? Yeah, that's, um, just, that's just, and that's that's just simple human observation, right? Like I, I don't need a degree in theology to understand that when I've seen somebody who's drunk, it's, they, they look foolish. They right. act foolish. And yeah, we we make fun of them and, you know, it's like kind of like this trivial, but but in the, the things of God, we're we're dealing with serious matters yeah. here. And, and to for, for Scripture to call you foolish is not a good thing, <laughs> right? Like Scripture is very um, black and white and foolish is... Uh, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Right. Right. Like foolishness is is an indictment upon us um, if we are fools. Um, but not just Proverbs 20. There's also a, a little bit lengthier discussion in Proverbs 23. Yeah. Um, what What do we see there in in that passage, and what 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 do we need to pull out of that? Yeah, Proverbs 23, uh, towards the end of that chapter, it is basically describing 
the person that is longing after mm. drunkenness or longing after um, being intoxicated. Um, and, and there's warnings against that. Verse 31 says, Do not look on wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Now, that's not saying you can't look. Right. At, right. Okay. That's, that's good. That's good. This hermeneutics right. teaches us this is not a literal, this is poetic language. So. Right. Yeah, but, but, it, but it's setting it up. It's, it's this desire to be in the room with wine and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you, you are craving having it mm-hmm. um, to the point of drunkenness. That's the idea here. Verse 32, at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's that is strong language there. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. Okay, so this, again, is talking about the person that's intoxicated, right? I mean, what's it affecting? It's, it's affecting yeah, the mind. how you see. Right. It's affecting your vision. Yeah. But then it's also affecting the way that you what? Think. Yeah, the way that you think. Yeah. I mean, it, it says that... Under intoxication, you will be thinking perversely, right? Right. Uh, in verse verse thirty-three, and and then verses thirty-four and thirty-five. Um, <laughs> I think verse thirty-four is pretty humorous, I guess, to some degree. Yeah. And and you will be like the one who lies down in the middle of the sea, or like the one who lies down on the top of a mast, right? Uh, and what's the idea behind that? Yeah, the the idea is you, you you're out of control. Right. You, you don't have your faculties. Right. You are being tossed to and fro. Mm-hmm. Is basically what it's saying. Yeah, it's it's nonsense to think about that. Yeah, to think about somebody behaving in such a way. So, like you mentioned, it's affected your eyes. It's affected your mind, and now it's affecting the way that your body moves, the way that the decisions you've made, and and how you move. Um, even even as you make these decisions, it, like what your body does is now impaired by this drunken right. state. Right. Yeah. Andreas Kostenberger, a New Testament scholar, mm-hmm. um, he says that being drunk with wine is paralleled with foolishness. Yeah. Right. Uh, MacArthur says that for the Christian, drunkenness is unthinkable. Mm. It's an outright sin. Yeah. Okay. And, and I think that's where you and I would dogmatically affirm drunkenness is sinful yeah like there just like any other sin it's not that we're not high we're not elevating this sin we are just we are are um, attempting to be clear to to state that the scriptures reveal that drunkenness is a sin because there are those who would who would waffle on this issue or who might partake in or maybe they think oh it's not that big of a deal Whatever else, no. The Bible is clear. Drunkenness is a sin. Yeah, yeah. We we have to stand firm on that. Right. Um, again, if we, we claim sola scriptura, we claim that scripture is uh, sufficient. We we claim that it's authoritative. I mean, we've done episodes on those things. If we claim all of those things, this is man. What 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 better way to put the scripture? into application right. or the practicality of it. Here's what it clearly says about this issue, which dominates our culture. How as Christians shall we respond? Right. That's, and I think yeah. with the issue of drunkenness, the the case is it's shut. That's right. That's right. Okay. We've we've made that we've made that case. I feel pretty good about the biblical case there. My next question, because this is this is avoiding the two extremes, right? We've yeah. got to take the whole counsel of God. Doesn't Scripture 
speak positively of script of uh, of alcohol. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't scripture say good things about wine? Doesn't Jesus turn water into wine? Like isn't isn't wine a good thing right. in scripture? Yeah. How, how do I balance this? Well, old in the New Testament, you do see wine in positive terms. Okay. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter nine verse seven. Go then. Eat your bread and happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, hmm. for God has already approved your works. Okay, that's just one example of uh, uh, probably a dozen or so verses. Yeah. I that, think of also Proverbs 3, uh, verse 10. So this is in the book of Proverbs, yeah. same well, book we, we yeah. just looked at. Verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Yeah, okay. The idea being that that's a blessing coming from God, the one who honors the Lord with his wealth and gives the Lord the first fruits of his produce. He will be blessed with more abundant amounts of wine. Right. Right? Okay, so, I mean, is this a contradiction? What's going on in Scripture here? Um, absolutely not a contradiction. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we've we've made that case in other pass or other episodes where we've talked about um, how scripture has um, has a way like we interpret scripture with scripture, right? We have to understand there there's more to the story than just these isolated verses. Um, a couple of things come to mind. One, there's a distinction, a clear distinction between drunkenness. And the and the consumption of alcohol. That's right. number one. Right. And number two, at least something needs to be said about the difference between wine in 1000 BC in yeah. Israel and um, pick your brand of, <laughs> of alcoholic beverage today. Around any street corner. Right. 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 Exactly. Like like the the liquor store in America in 2019 is different than the wine that Paul tells Timothy to drink in first Timothy. Right. Right. Um, so, so how are they different and why does that matter? Yeah. Well, yeah, again, uh, the scripture isn't confused, right? God isn't contradicting himself. Um, so we want to, we want to be fair to the text when these passages speak of wine in positive terms. Well, if we, we go back to biblical times and, we deal with what's going on in the ancient world. Uh, we're living in an agrarian culture, right? Right. It's an agrarian society. Uh, so vineyards and cultivating the land and the crops and whatnot. I mean, that was the culture. That right. was the way of life. Um, so when we talk about when Scripture talks about God blessing in Proverbs three verse nine and ten. Well, that's because the the ground is going to yield the produce, right. which would include the vineyard, right? right? Like it yeah. was their crops, that was their livelihood. So, so the wealth factor is a, is accounted for because the vineyard is part of that, right? Right, like that's included. Yeah, look, let's say you and I have vineyards in the ancient world, TJ, and we're working and laboring month after month after month. We're providing for our families, or it's a means to be able to receive an income. Um, and we're told Second Thessalonians chapter three: If you don't work, you don't eat. So it's a biblical command to work, right? right. We're supp- Christians are supposed to be hard workers. So the idea behind that proverb is like, is is look, I'm working unto the Lord, and God is responding to all of the labors I'm putting into the land by giving me healthy crops, right? Right. Um, but but I think we should note one. Uh, we don't have an unlimited amount of 
uh, crops that we're producing in one year, right? Mm -hmm. We've got a limited amount. There's only a certain amount that we can draw from that particular vineyard. Um, And then clearly once we would take, um, once we would be able to produce the wine from all the cultivation, what are some ways that that would differ in that time compared to now are you speaking of um maybe them like, be, being watered yeah watered how, how, down, how would you like and i drink it diluted right um, this isn't the, this isn't the same going and buying a bottle of wine right this is not napa we're not going to the valley in california and pulling this straight out of the vineyard and putting it into the glass and take right this is this is different um the 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 alcoholic Content now. I do, I haven't done the research. I don't know the numbers, and frankly, I don't know that we can ever really give specifics on this. But the, go ahead, go well, ahead. Well, no, yeah. Most historians argue that uh, that they would take one cup or one part wine and mix it with anywhere from four to five cups of water. Okay, that's and, right, yeah. and there were even some reports that would take one cup wine up to twenty cups. Yeah, of water. So. So you Clearly could still, different. Yeah, you could call that wine mm-hmm. because absolutely wine was being used, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so. well, and and there's not a, and we see this even in the New Testament with the medicinal aspect that Paul tells Timothy to drink this. This will settle your stomach. Um, they didn't have pure, like water purifiers sitting right. in their sinks the way that we do today. And water wasn't always the safest thing to drink. And so what they would do is they would, basically have the water and wine combined in such a way that it it um purified the yep, water yep. right like that, that's the best way to say sanitary that. So purposes it, right and so it wasn't and and all of this to say that the drinking of wine as as outlined in scripture is not a pursuit of drunkenness but rather it is god's blessing upon them because wine was used in the society for non-drunkenness purposes right right right? yeah um now of course this is a gift from god that has been abused and distorted just like anything else exactly yes yes we see we see we see figures we see leaders we see um noah noah right we see men of god who are led astray by this gift but the misuse or abuse of a gift does not negate the goodness of the gift itself um but always within the parameters in which god has set it up and so there cannot be a pursuit of drunkenness rather that is it is just a um the wine itself is a gift from god because that was used in their culture so so today's culture if you were to rewrite uh the language into 21st century America, wine is not going to be the blessing the same way that financial gain might be. Yeah. Is that fair to say, yeah, kind is. of the, di- the difference between those two? Yeah, and I, I like all the points that you made because I think those are honest, fair uh, representations of what the Bible is speaking on those issues, right? Like the example you talked about with Paul telling Timothy to drink some wine for stomach issues. Look, mixed water with wine was used in the ancient world for medicinal purposes, right? right? They didn't have a CVS. They didn't have a Walgreens. They didn't have prescriptions or pharmaceuticals and all all, all those particular things. So that's something that they used. Yeah, Yeah, and you were correct on um, purifying water. There's only a couple ways to purify water in the ancient world. You'd have to boil it, Mm -hmm. right? And, And that would help. But then you would also you know, pour wine into right. the water and it right. would disinfect it. It was like right. a disinfectant, that's, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the purpose behind that. Yeah. It's not, it's not, again, it's not a pursuit of drunkenness. It's not how much can I drink to see 
how much my body can take, right? right? Like it's not, okay, let's all get together and just, now it does, there are people who do that, but that's clearly defined as sin. In it scripture. is. Yeah. So we want to be fair on that. There were right. people that w- did abuse it. Right. Absolutely. So, and the, so there's, and the scripture, the scripture speaks on that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so in other words, we, we've found kind of a place where we would say we're not rejecting what the scripture says about the positive aspects of wine. Yeah. Scripture speaks positively, but it's within certain parameters and it's not taken to an abused position right. of drunkenness. Right. Um, I want us to get there's somewhere else I want us to go but before we we go there let me also ask this question do, what does scripture have to say just from a wisdom warning perspective right like we've got this okay let's say I'm not going to pursue drunkenness I know better than that but I don't mind playing with fire a little bit okay right like I'm not trying to start a forest fire but right. I, I'll see what I can I'll get some members burning right so what what does scripture have to say in terms of uh, heeding certain warnings yeah if you um, if you look through scripture you'll see that there are warnings um, that are given to particular people uh, in the Old and the New Testament um, to begin with, uh, back in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9, God is laying out what the Levitical priesthood should look like. Okay, I mean, we're talking about ceremonies, sacrifices, etc., but we're also talking about issues of morality. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9 says, Do not drink wine or strong drink. Okay, so if I'm correct there with the Hebrew, we're talking about, do, when it says do not drink wine, we're talking about the mixed wine there, mm-hmm. okay? even uh, water mixed with wine. And then it's also talking about strong drinks, so this would be unmixed wine. So the Levitical priests, beginning with Aaron, and this is supposed to go on throughout the generations, it says do not drink mixed wine. Which is what we just described. Right, which right. is what we just described. Mm-hmm. And also says do not drink strong drink or strong wine or unmixed right. wine. Right? Which I think, to comment on this, I think what you see in culture and society today is biblical strong drink. Right. Right? I, like, anybody just drinking mixed water <laughs> right. and wine to purify the water coming out of your sink? Right. I mean, so, no. so like we read that and you, you, we might be tempted to think the wine is the bottle of wine that you get at the restaurant and the strong drink is like this like hard liquor... You know, that kind of thing. But really, just a glass of wine would be strong drink right. in the Old Testament. Right, yeah, So I, I think it's it's helpful for us to understand the word wine isn't a direct correlation right. from, from you know, 2500 right. B.C. Yeah. To, to 2000 A.D. Yeah. Um, okay, Numbers, uh, excuse me, Leviticus 10, verse 9, um, makes this statement. Where do we see anything else in the Old Testament that speaks to this? Yeah, even worth you, mentioning? Can, you can go to the book of Numbers, the Nazarite vow. Basically, mm-hmm. that was a, it was a vow uh, that was um, made with the Lord that you, it was the, the highest possible devotion to set yourself right. apart from the world and the culture as to give yourself wholly unto God. Which is what Samson, yeah. like his yeah. life was set apart for yeah. this particular purpose. Yeah, and it says in Numbers chapter 6, verse 3, to abstain from wine and strong drink. Again. Okay, so there we've got both issues there, mixed and unmixed mm-hmm. wine. Mm-hmm. Um, to conclude the Old Testament... Um, we see in Proverbs 31 that even kings are warned to 
get get away from it. Right. Be be away from wine, mm-hmm. strong drink, all of those things. Get away from it. Right. Right. Be, be, because kings, rulers, leaders, they had so much to lose, right. yeah. and every decision they made had significant implications and ramifications for more than one person. Right. And so for the leaders, there's a wisdom issue in play that says, look, stay away because there's real danger. Right. Um, if the poor man who's begging on the side of the street gets drunk, that's bad news for him. But if the king gets drunk, that's bad news for the whole country. Right, because he's overseeing right. people, right? Right. Okay, so let's bounce to the New uh, New Testament yeah. real quick. Now, you taught on this uh, the, the, the other week, so... Um, maybe you can add some insight here um, when we're talking about church leaders, so mm-hmm. elders, deacons, pastors, etc. How, how do we deal? How should they deal with uh, wine? Yeah, um, you know, there's this question has come up a lot. If I'm a if I'm a pastor at a church, should I sign some kind of covenant that says I will not drink alcohol as a church leader? Um, I have no problem saying that. Like, but there are some guys who would say that that's that's wrong. It's building a fence around the law. Yada yada. Well, the, the, the question really comes down to what is Paul talking about in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3? And when he speaks of the overseer and when he speaks of the deacon, he says that they should not be addicted to wine. He says that they should not be addicted to much wine for the deacon. The idea here is they should not even have a desire to drink it, which means if you took it away from them, they wouldn't notice. So that's the, that's the concept that, that yeah, Paul is emphasizing to say they don't. They don't care if you if you give it to them. They're not bound by their conscience to say, um, "I can't drink this necessarily." But it, if you took it away, it doesn't matter. They pursue godliness. They're they are more concerned with um, pleasing and worshiping and satisfying God Himself and not their own flesh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Their focus is on doctrine. Right. Not drink. Well, and even even his his uh, warning there about the husband of one wife and. All these things are saying if he's pursuing his own fleshly desires, then he's probably not going to be qualified to lead the, in the people okay. of God, right? Like it's it's more of this: what characterizes this man? Is he after? Is, is he a one woman man, or does he have other desires? Right? What does he desire? Strong drink? Does he desire to be around wine? He's probably not going to be the type of leader you want. It's not the issue of can he. Can he drink or can he not drink? The issue is, does he even want to? Right. So it's this warning that says, look, if you have a leader who bats an eye or, or resists when you take alcohol away, that's a problem, you know. And so that's kind of that's the heart of the message. We don't want him. Just, yeah, we don't want him to be dependent there on anything. Right. Right. There it is. Um, yeah. If you if you took that away from him and he struggles, then there's a dependence on. Yeah. It. Right. And and Paul's concern is that there should not be anyone who is um, bound up or, or taken captive by something other than God himself. Right. Yeah, that's good. So, so you see that in First Timothy 3. You also right. see that in Titus chapter 1. Um, if you go to Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 deals with older men and women in the church. And according to verse 3, it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine hmm. um so 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 even there you've got older women in the church uh i think that would also include men um based based on the previous verse as well chapter 2 verse 2 of titus uh, but uh, again the, the the warnings to not be and i think that i mean that is 
bold language there, enslaved. Right. Right. We we understand what that we understand what that means. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- those so those ideas constantly throughout Scripture that do not say because I want to be I want to be clear because I've struggled with this in the past. They do not say that alcohol equals sin, but what they say right. is be careful because when you play with fire, you you are risking a lot because it's a slippery slope into drunkenness, but also into poor decision-making. And so I, I think you can make a biblical case that says, look, if you just stay away from alcohol, you don't have to deal with the issues that come with right. it. Like that's kind of the, that's the warning, the admonition. Again, I'm not saying that alcohol is equal to sin. Um, I think the Bible prohibits me from saying that because for a long time I tried to make it. Right. Um, but it doesn't allow you to because there is blessing associated with wine. Yeah, yeah that's, I, I mean, I like I like your faithfulness to the text there, and I think that's what we're trying to yeah. show in, in this episode. We can be dogmatic about certain things. Right. We want to take stances and sides mm-hmm. on uh, certain sides of this coin or mm-hmm. this issue, mm-hmm. but there are some things that, and this is one of the things that you've been explaining, we, we can't go that far. Right on some aspects right. of it. Now, if I had written the Bible, maybe I would have, but I didn't. <laughs> and I have to yield to yeah. God himself. And God has is there's an there's a certain uh aspect and component of of alcohol that God has said, "Look, this is a blessing. This has come from me." We we even look forward to this great wedding feast in heaven, right? right? And and um the the idea of the cup is there. And so I, I just don't I want us to be careful to avoid those two polar opposite extremes and so right. we have to make sure that we're at least um, getting a full biblical picture of what yeah. that is yeah so. so we've talked about kings Nazarite vow priests um, elders overseers deacons but we go back to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 I mean Paul's talking to the lay people yeah. in the church, right? Remember, the letter to the Ephesians was probably a cyclical letter. In other words, it probably wasn't actually addressed to the Ephesians only, right? Right? Is that right? Yeah, more like that? yeah. So um, likely, this would circulate throughout the um, throughout the the whole ancient Near yeah. East. Like, hey, okay. let's let's. When you're done reading this, it's like the end of the book uh, to Col- to the Colossians. He says, make sure you read yeah. um, the letters to the Laodiceans and likewise. So the the book that was written to the Ephesians was spread around. Yeah, and and of course it deals directly with the 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 cultural um, aspects there in Ephesus, but other churches would be hearing this as well. Yeah, and the idea that you mentioned. This is for the layperson, Ephesians 5.18, stay away from this. Instead, pursue the Spirit. Right. So, Don't be drunk. So there really isn't any group left out of the warnings. Right. Right? right. Um, everybody's included at some point or another, Genesis to Revelation. And right. I think Ephesians 5, again, the common person or the layperson in the church, mm-hmm. there, there's the warning. Do not get drunk yeah. with wine. Right. Right? So, so you have... An exhaustive, comprehensive warning throughout Scripture that says, stay, "A, stay away. Do not get drunk. Yeah. That's explicit. But B, be tread cautiously. Tread very carefully when it comes to alcohol. And I would stay away from it because if you don't, you run the risk of falling into drunkenness. Right. You run the risk of falling into inebriation, to losing your mind, to losing." Um, control and and that is sin. Yeah, God so, doesn't God doesn't want you to live that way. Right, right, right. 
And and so yeah, so I, I think scripture um, is, is is fairly straightforward on that. But now let me ask this question because we're trying to land in the middle, right? We're trying to understand that that just taking a, a sip or a drink of alcohol, and of course we're speaking in the American context and culture now. Yeah. Um, this might these questions are different in other parts of the world or at different times in the world. Right. Um, but right now we would say it's not sinful to have a drink of alcohol. Mm-hmm. It is sinful to get drunk, right. right? So where do I where does Christian liberty come into play here? Because yeah. this is the this is the issue that really when you drill down, this is what most people want to know. Yeah. How much can I drink? Yeah. Can I drink? Should I right. drink? Those are the questions. So in terms of Christian liberty, let, let's throw out some questions to kind of uh, get this component of okay. our mm-hmm. episode rolling here. Is drinking alcohol potentially offensive to other brothers and sisters in Christ? Okay, uh, that's a question okay. that we have to ask. Okay, what if my participation in alcohol triggers a former alcoholic to drink again? Okay, mm-hmm. what if someone drinks for the first time and justifies their drinking because they saw me do it? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and I, I think again you could you could throw in more and more and more yeah. questions with yeah. that. But when we think about Christian liberties, what what's the best way? to define a Christian liberty and understand. A, is it just a, I'm in Christ, man. It is just a free-for-all now. <laughs> I, I'm free in Christ. I'm forgiven for all my sins. Now I can really live it up because of grace. Well, um, Is that no, a Christian liberty? That is not Christian okay, liberty. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good that you, I, obviously that kind of sounded outlandish when you said it, but that that's sometimes... That's really the heart of, of the mindset, right? right? Like, I have been forgiven for future sin, um, so if I do this thing, I'm not going to lose my salvation. Right. So I'm okay, and that's a really scary and dangerous place to be. Um, it's very, very problematic. But Christian liberty, as, as we would define it when we look at Scripture, is to say there are certain aspects, like in the issue of alcohol, where Scripture says— when you go up to this point in the line, which is drunkenness, that's sin. But everything prior to that is not characterized as sin. Now, you may drink, you may not drink. That's for the Christian conscience to decide. Right. So that's where you have individual liberty. Personally, I do not drink. I have a conviction that I do not. I just will not do it. Right. Um, I have several reasons for that, most of them biblical. But I have other presuppositions from my past. I've actually written a blog post on this where I kind of unpacked some of my history. Um, and then I think about my children. I don't want my children exposed to it. I, I came from a line of alcoholics. So it would be just prudential for me to say, hey, if I open, if I open the bottle— I'm really risking a lot. Right. So, so for me, that's just where I'm at. But there are others in the Christian faith who can drink, and neither one of us is sinning in our decision to do so. Right. There's liberty there. There's freedom there. Right. Okay. Right. That's Christian liberty. Yeah. So, and, how yeah, do we deal yeah, with and this? And to, to add to that, uh, Christian liberty, uh, I think sometimes we need to kind of turn that definition a little bit on its head and, and what I mean by that is Christian liberty is the freedom to withhold mm. doing things for the sake of others and, and, and other so uh, Paul says in first Corinthians 8 verse 9 but take care that this liberty so this Christian liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak so I may be free in Christ to drink alcohol however 
if me drinking alcohol is a stumbling block to another Christian brother or sister, uh, that, that, that's bad news on right, my part. Right. I, I'm really glad you, that you brought that up. I think of, uh, of Romans 14, classic text when it comes to Christian liberty and freedom. But if you read through, and I'm not going to read through it even though I'd love to, but if you read through Romans chapter 14, Paul delineates two types of people, the stronger brother and the weaker brother, right? Well, the weaker brother is the one who, who might, it, this might be a stumbling block for him. He might look at it and either now he's tempted to drink or now he thinks it's okay to drink and he misunderstands and he falls into drunkenness because he's not strong enough or he has a past or whatever else. Yeah. That's the weaker brother. Well, the obligation is on the stronger brother because he is stronger. Right. So if you have these two people and the weaker brother's job is to become strong, like, well, he can't do that. There's a reason why he's the weaker brother. So I think you, you make a, 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 like, that's a, a great observation to say, let's flip this upside down and there's Christian liberty. Yeah, I have freedom to do this, but I also, because I'm strong, because I'm the one who can exercise this liberty, I'm not bound by right. anything. So I have the complete freedom to abstain. Right. Um, so in the example of somebody with, who struggles with alcohol, I have struggled with alcohol for a long time because I used to think it was sinful. Right. I'm the weaker brother here. Now I'm, I'm growing. I'm trying not to be the weaker brother. But I don't have the ability to magically look at alcohol and say, ah, no big deal. Right. But somebody who doesn't isn't bound by that, they can say, I don't have to drink. Right. And so the, so now we are both on the same page. So the, the stronger brother makes himself weak for the sake of the weak. Yeah, but as Christians, as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to withhold that Christian liberty. We want to abstain from something that a weaker person might struggle with. That, that is the beauty of being in the family of God. Right. You're willing to do that for 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 the other Christian, yeah, right. That's yeah, so true. I, it's I, not a license to just have a free for all. That's exactly. antinomianism, exactly. right? An ancient heresy of mm-hmm. just freely sinning because grace exists. No, we want to freely restrict for the the sake of that weaker uh, right. brother or sister. Well, and and I think that the, hopefully this goes without saying, but we might as well say it that the stronger brother who has this liberty. If you have to exercise your liberty in order to demonstrate it, you've misunderstood what Christian liberty is. Calvin says this. I loved his quote on this from his Institutes. He said, We should use God's gifts for the purpose for which he gave them to us, with no scruple of conscience, no trouble of mind. But it is perversely interpreted, both by those who allege it as an excuse for their desires, that they may abuse God's good gifts to their own lust, and by those who think that freedom does not exist unless it is used before men. So in other words, what Calvin's saying is, you have the freedom to drink alcohol or to not drink alcohol. But some people will say, this is Christian liberty, and they'll drink till they're drunk. And other people say, I have liberty, so you, I, I should be allowed to drink in front of you. Right. That's my liberty. Right. And he's saying, both of, both of those people have misunderstood it. And because of that, they have no regard for the weaker brethren. Nothing is plainer than this rule. We should use our freedom if it results in the edification of our neighbor. But if it does not help our neighbor, we should forego it. Like, that, that's a straightforward thing. Brilliant. If, I'm, if I can help you 
then I should do it. If if me drinking in front of you, like if you were to pull out uh, uh, some alcohol from the fridge, I would have a, I would stumble. Right. I would, they would, I would look at you differently. I'm just so we're clear. There's no alcohol. Good. In the I, I didn't want to know if there was, <laughs> but I pre, that there is no great. alcohol. That's in there. great. Yeah. But, but I would struggle with that. So even if you, but you have the freedom to have alcohol in your fridge, right. but you shouldn't pull it out in front of me. Right. You can pull it out in front of somebody else. Just not in front of this brother. Yeah. And that, that, that's right. A, yeah. That's a, that's, but that's a biblical understanding right. of Christian liberty. Right. Right. And that comes from, I mean, not Christian legalism, right? Right. right. Christian liberty. That's. Right. Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned First Corinthians eight nine. This take care that this liberty of yours doesn't become a strum, a, stum, a stumbling block to the weak. He's talking to the strong. Yeah, he's talking to the stronger brother there. The weaker brother is the weaker brother, right? And he's weak. Um, so we have to, um, I don't want to say cater to, but we have to, we have to nurture and massage and build up this weaker brother because the weaker brother should pursue a biblical understanding of these issues and pursue to grow um, it is that's the weaker brother's task, but the stronger brother um, should not put those things in the, in, in his way. Right. He shouldn't put those stomach blocks on his, you know, for him to trip over. Right. Yeah. I was, I was reading a blog the other day and I, I put this in my notes. So uh, this, this is a, this is actually from a blog titled, remember the weaker brother. Sounds and, familiar. Yeah. Um, but, but listen to these words. I do think they're helpful. Quote, my plea with the Christian today is not to neglect the weaker brother. Don't forget that some of us are still struggling with alcohol. Don't forget that some are recovering from the pains that alcohol caused them and daily fighting the temptation to run back to that old familiar habit. Don't forget that some of us grew up in a different set of circumstances with a different perception of alcohol. And remember that others may be affected negatively by it. That's from our own T.J. Darty, right? That's well worded. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a worthwhile uh, blog entry that you had, um, and, and, and worth reading because it really helps bring clarification um, to the Christian liberty aspect of uh, this alcohol well, topic. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I really, uh, it was something I was very passionate about and wrote about because it's such a an important topic, and it was one that I struggled with for a long time, and um, and so we we. We, we misunderstand Christian liberty a, a lot, yeah. and so it, it's definitely something that, that needs to be addressed. Um, all right, what, what yeah. else do we need to, to well, touch yeah. base with? Before we get into the initiative here, let's look at some common misuses of Scripture to promote alcohol consumption, okay? Okay. Common misuses. I, I hear this one um, a lot, and I think this is always the go-to, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I want to hear, hear what you say when you, when you hear this. Because I hear it a lot, too. Yeah. So uh, the common misuse of Scripture would be, well, I can drink wine because Jesus drank wine. Yeah. That's okay. like the go-to, right? That, that, that's the go-to. Okay. Did Jesus drink wine in Scripture? Well, yeah, we can think of John chapter 2. Jesus' first miraculous work is turning water into wine. Yeah, the miracle in fact, of the wedding in Cana. Yeah, right? the wedding in Cana. So if you go back to that text in John 2, you'll notice that Jesus fills to the brim like five or six barrels mm-hmm. of of wine, and right? it's high quality wine. Yeah, high quality, the finest wine. They'd say that normally they wait and use they use the the good wine at yeah. the beginning, and then yeah. they just use the cheap wine once everybody's drunk. But Jesus, he turns it into the highest quality wine, right. even at the end of the festival, right. the feast. Yeah, so wedding feasts in the ancient world would have been days, yeah. if not you know a couple weeks. So Jesus is 
essentially providing wine for this entire celebration, you know, maybe a few hundred people or whatnot. Um, again, the argument we want to make here is Jesus isn't, you know, uncorking bottles of wine and just dumping those things into... <laughs> just picture the locker room yeah. celebration of right. the yeah. World Series right. or the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like it, Jesus uncorking the champagne yeah. and going nuts right. with it. You know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is not what Jesus is right. doing. And I think we've already demonstrated that um, alcohol in this context or wine in this context, again, would have been um, a majority water with wine. Now, it would have been good wine because it was supernaturally made on the spot by Christ, so it wouldn't have you know, had the effects of a fallen world or a sinful world. But uh, the picture here isn't Jesus providing wine so everybody can get inebriated. The picture right. here is... Well, we've got hundreds of people that are celebrating a wedding for maybe two weeks, mm-hmm. and Jesus is providing water yeah. essentially for everybody to stay hydrated. Well, here, here's here's my observation. What's the point of that miracle? Like you made you 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 nailed you said Jesus did not do this for the sake so that everybody could get inebriated, right? What is the purpose of this? This is to announce. This is the first miracle he does. <laughs> Guess what? Like God is among you. Like right. you, 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 Jesus is using supernatural, miraculous means to declare that he is the Christ. And and John, John's gospel is the only one that records this miracle. Um, but John is going to lead us up to, right, like that great yeah. high priestly prayer, and then we get into the to the the crucifixion. And the whole point of turning water into wine is not drunkenness. It's not to pursue vain pleasures in this world. The point is to say, look at who I am. And this was a way to get their attention in that world. Um, But we want to make sure we are not legalistically saying, well, that that wine wasn't, there was no alcohol in there or whatever. Like, we understand it's not to say that Jesus wouldn't, you know, okay, yeah, you can have a glass of wine. If that's really what you want, if that's what you have to have, I, I'm not trying to see it in your way. That's Christian liberty. But the but let's not exaggerate that point beyond yeah. what it's really there for. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, um, and, I mean, another one that I, you know, put down here that every so often, you know, Paul instructing Timothy to drink wine um, that that one. I mean, look, there's apostolic authority that right. wine consumption. You know, I mean, again, we, we talked about that medicinal purposes, right? There, there wasn't. You know, you couldn't go to the store and get over the counter, right. you know, right. a medication and whatnot. That would be the reason that was used in that instance. Um, and, and clearly, uh, Paul's m- made the statements in First Corinthians five, First Corinthians six, Galatians, Romans, mm-hmm. right? Do do not get drunk. Right. So he's not right. contradicting himself right. there. Yeah. Okay. Initiative. Yeah. Initiative. You got it. Man, my big takeaway is pursue godliness. Like, like don't get drunk. But I I don't want to put up a fence around the wall. I struggled with that for so long, and I don't want to create a stumbling block for somebody else. Um, ultimately, pursue godliness, and if if that you have the charity or the, the liberty to drink, and if that's what you choose to do, that's fine. But don't neglect that weaker brother. Remember that there are others, but just pursue godliness. And if you do that, um, the other things will take care of themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've battled through this issue, uh, even as a Christian, for you know the last nine, ten years. 
Um, and I, I want our understanding to be clear uh, that drunkenness is sinful. Right. But as far as alcohol consumption is concerned, let's make God the priority mm-hmm. and then the other Christian brother or sister the, yeah, the priority as well. And then, then let, let's follow suit. That's good. Follow suit after that. That's so. really good. Well, if you're not doing so already, make sure you're subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, to our YouTube channel. Make sure you like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore Informants. And don't forget, you can find access to all of our episodes and links to our social media platforms on our website at www.themajestiesmen.com backslash Reformed Informants. And let me also, shameless plug, you can go to www.themajestiesmen.com backslash TJ Darty, and there you'll find the uh, my blog post and you can search for the weaker brother there and uh and dig a little bit more deeply into this issue yeah make sure you check out the show notes as well those things should be up and and ready to roll um yeah and if you have any questions suggestions for topics of discussion again reach out to us at reformedinformants at gmail.com we'd love to do an episode or an informal episode on um anything that you'd like to discuss or talk about 